Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Well, let me begin with a word of prayer. Father, your word says that you have exalted your word above your holy name. And we can do no less this morning as we, uh, as we hear truth today from your word. Give us, give us ears to hear, hearts to hear, and to obey. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are dealing with issues within the church and within our society today. And a few weeks ago, I uh, tried to deal with the issue of racism and race in our nation and in God's church as well. But today I want to deal with another major and important issue that churches everywhere are having to face today. Uh, it's not a new issue, but it's one that is ever growing worldwide, and that is feminism. Feminism. And I've entitled my message, Feminism in the Church. More and more women today are becoming pastors and preachers, uh, and all in the name of equality of the sexes. If men can do it, so can women. So let us do it. Uh, most Americans today think that's okay. 41% of we who call ourselves evangelicals say that's okay. Also, 51% of women who are in seminaries today and who are enrolled in the Master of Divinity track of study uh, think it's okay, and it's that track of study that prepares them for pastoral ministry. And it seems that seminaries uh, worldwide have abandoned truths that they have held on to closely for years. But like any other issue we deal with, we need to see what God says in His, in His inspired, perfect, and authoritative Word. No matter what you or I or our culture thinks today, it's God who must have the last word. You agree? I hope so. Now, I've had to face this issue numerous times over uh, 25 years or so of pastoral experience, and I'm always amazed at the number of people who choose to ignore what God says concerning this subject even when they know it and even when they understand it they will still ignore it i don't believe it's a mystery i don't believe it's difficult to understand i think it's rather plain and clear to us and it's not a cultural issue at all and it's not a matter of or an issue of equal rights but what it comes down to is a a matter of the will the will Will I believe it or not? Will I obey it or not? 
For about a year and a half, I pastored an English-speaking uh, congregation in a much larger uh, Chinese-speaking church. The Chinese-speaking pastor told me that every once in a while, and I don't recall how often that was, it could have been as often as once a month, he would allow his wife to preach to the Chinese-speaking congregation. And would it be okay if I would let her speak to our English-speaking congregation? And I said I would not allow her to do that, and I explained why from the Bible. Well, to say the least, that did not go over very well with him. Uh, and I was called on to defend my position to the, the church council, an evening meeting, and another opportunity to speak with the, uh, uh, the head of the denomination that this church was a part of. But they didn't see it. They just couldn't see where I was coming from, and eventually I chose to resign. What they were doing, I believe, was just holding on tightly to their culture and to their traditions that had been a part of that church uh, probably for generations. And this is not a matter of inequality between the sexes because both sexes are totally equal. God makes that very clear to us in the New Testament, in particular, the book of uh, Galatians. But it's all a matter of the roles that God has given to men and that God has given to women that go way back to the Garden of Eden, are there through the Old Testament, into the New Testament, into the church age, and they are the same today. Whenever the church meets together, as we are doing today, uh, the truth is the same. The roles are the same. The man's role is to lead. The woman's role is to submit. Now, sometimes when you hear that word submit or submission, it rings bells and it, red lights go off in some people's minds. Submission does not mean inferiority in any way. Submission does not mean that someone is second class in any way. And if men have treated you ladies that way, they were absolutely wrong and sinful to do that. For example, Jesus was not inferior to his father, was he? But he willingly and humbly submitted to the authority of his father while he walked on this earth. And he was the eternal God himself. But still he was in submission to his father. And I think in order to get a clear picture of the texts that were read to us already this morning, we need to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Genesis and creation to see what God says. Because what's happening today in our world is the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. And so I, I think you really need to look at your, your Bibles this morning. If you don't bring your own, then look at the one in your, uh, the pew rack in front of you. Let's start in Genesis chapter 2. And first we'll look at Satan's deceit. 
Satan's deceit and how he used deceit in the garden. Chapter 2, uh, just one verse, verse 18. Uh, the Lord God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper, a helper fit for him or suitable for him. So in the beginning, at, at creation, everything was good. Everything was fine. Adam was the loving head. That was the role God gave to him. Eve was his willing helper. That was the role that God gave to Eve. Adam was not superior to Eve. Eve was not inferior to Adam in any way. But it's a matter of the roles God gave. But you know what happened? Satan comes along and he deceives Eve into usurping Adam's headship. And she leads the way into sin. And man falls. She gives up her role as the helper and she steps out from under Adam's headship, his leadership, and his protection. What does Adam do? Adam willingly abandons his role as the head, as the leader. And he follows his wife, Eve, into sin. What happens was the roles were reversed. Eve reversed the role God gave to her, and Adam reversed the role that God clearly gave to him. Eve was deceived. The text clearly tells us that. And Paul reiterates that in the New Testament. She was deceived. Adam was not deceived. Adam knew very well what he was doing when he said, yes, I'll follow you, Eve. You be the head. And of course, there were consequences to their sin. One of them you're very well familiar with, especially you ladies. Chapter 3 of Genesis. God says to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth your children. Just one of the numerous consequences of sin. Every childbirth will be a reminder of that consequence. But there's another one. In the same verse, it says, your desire, speaking to Eve and the woman, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, some translations put it this way. Your desire shall be to your husband. Now, it's not talking about uh, romantic desire uh, at all. That was, that was before the fall. That's the normal thing in life. But there will be, starting then in the Garden of Eden, an ongoing struggle of the wills between Adam and his wife, between man and the woman. Woman's desire will be to have her way with the man. Her desire, a strong desire, will be to take the lead over the man. She'll want to lead. But God says that cannot happen. He will rule over you. That's how God designed it to be. God-given roles. 
Now, I give you that backdrop or that background regarding the fall in the Garden of Eden because Paul is going to refer back to that. He's going to refer back to uh, creation when giving instruction regarding uh, God's roles in the New Testament church. And so we jump ahead to the New Testament this morning, to uh, the early church, and of course to our church to see what God says. And look in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, we'll start with chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Notice here what Paul says as he's writing to Timothy. I hope to come to you soon, verse 14, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. The church has the truth. We have the truth of God before us this morning. So the church holds that truth dear and it clings to that truth. So he's writing to, to Timothy. So Timothy knows what the church is to look like. How the church is to function. Especially when the church is, is meeting together. Now, um, go back one chapter to chapter 2. Now he's into the roles. So we, we started with uh, Satan's deceit. And then it was the consequences of sin. Now we're in the New Testament and in our day as well when it comes to the roles for men and for women. Chapter 2 and verse 8. I desire then... Now that word then is important because it's a continuation from the first seven Verses. He's giving a greater explanation to what he has said in verses 1 through 7. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Now that's not a general term for mankind. It's specifically speaking to the masculine, to the men. That men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now he has just discussed prayer to some degree in public worship. Now he moves to the, the issue of who will do the praying when the church meets together. And it's the men. It's part of leadership. It's the men who pray. Now he's not referring just to pastors or to leaders in the church, but to the men in the church. Publicly, they are to pray. It's the men as opposed to the women. So it's men lead who lead when it comes to corporate worship. That's given to us also in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians and in 1 Thessalonians and elsewhere. So his instruction first is to the man. Now, verse 9, likewise... And again, he's in the same context. Now he's moving on from men to women. 
Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. Now, he's speaking, obviously, to Christian women who profess godliness with good works. Started with the men, now he moves over to the women. And he's still referring to the church, and particularly when the church meets together. Likewise, and again referring back to verse 8, what's the woman's responsibility as, as the helper, as the one who is submissive in the church? <clears throat> She's to dress modestly. You say, well, that's, that's odd. But that's what Paul says. Her role is to dress modestly. Her responsibility is to dress modestly. When a woman, a Christian woman, dresses for worship, it should never be to attract people away from the Lord. Away from the Lord when they've come to worship. What marks a woman, Paul says, is her good works and her character, her good works and her character. Then notice he says in verse 11, let a woman learn quietly, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. The woman is to learn in quietness. The woman is the learner. The women are the learners rather than the teachers when it comes to public gatherings, public worship. And that is not just a suggestion, that is a command. Now go back to uh, to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, a couple of important verses there. 1 Corinthians 14, verse, let's see, let's start with um, verse 33. He writes to the church at Corinth and he says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. See, now here, it's not just instruction given to the church at Corinth, but he says this is for all churches everywhere, not just Corinth. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in Submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Listen, that is one powerful, strong word. It is shameful. Some translations use the word disgraceful. That's probably even worse. It's disgraceful or shameful for a woman to speak in church. Nowhere in the New Testament is the woman presented as the teacher at the church gathering. She is to learn with submission back in 1 Timothy chapter 2. You can turn back to there if you would. She's to learn with submission. It's, it's her way of as, as having a submissive spirit toward 
the leadership in the church and at the same time as to the Lord. See, it's not just to the leaders of the church, not just to men, but it's a picture of relationship with God at, at the same time. Submission then is linked to quietness. Now, I've heard criticism of this text over the years. Someone would say, well, then she can't even sing in church. No, Paul is not saying that. He doesn't mean she can't sing, but she is not to do what's given specifically to the man to do. To lead, to teach. Teaching, teaching is leading. Teaching is authoritative. A woman is not to have that role, that position in the church. Their quietness is linked to not leading and not teaching. Silence then refers to not teaching, while submission refers to not, uh, not leading at all. Now, to me, that's, that's fairly clear and plain in Scripture. Verse 12 in 1 Timothy 2 says, I don't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. This is not a cultural problem. It's not a cultural issue. It was true in Paul's day and throughout the entire Old Testament and church history. Now, some have violated that command in various places and times throughout the world, but it's the same today as it was in Paul's day and through the entire New Testament. And by the way, this has nothing to do with a woman's ability to teach and to lead. Now, some of you ladies are and would be excellent teachers and are excellent teachers. Some of you are excellent leaders, but you're prohibited from doing that in the body of the church. You see the difference? It's not just anywhere. It's not in your home, but it's in the church as well. It's not a cultural problem. So Paul, in explaining this now, is going to go way back. Not to the culture of his day, but he goes way back to the Garden of Eden. Notice what he says. Verse 13. For, now that's again an important word, or because, now he's giving an explanation to what he has just taught or said. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived, and she became the transgressor. Adam was formed first. Eve was formed second. She came from Adam. Literally, she came from Adam's side, his rib. So there's a, there's a chronology here. There's a chronological order as well here. Eve was not intended to lead or direct Adam. Adam was not to be Eve's helper. Eve was to be the husband's helper. She was to be Adam's helper. It's clearly from the Old Testament text. She was to be a helper that was suitable or fit for him. The woman was not to be independent from man. Well, our culture doesn't believe that today, does it? Not at, not at all. Um, the helper, by the way, also, the helper carries a lot of influence 
whether it be in the church or the home. The helper carries a lot of weight and a lot of influence. You want to know what that's like? Come to my home. You see what that's, what that's like. And the influence that Fran, who is my helper, has in our home and in my life. So the helper does carry much importance, much influence. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 9 says that the woman was created for the man. That's not to be an, an oppressive thing. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 8 says the woman came from man. Man did not come from the woman. So what happened with Eve in the garden? She violated her God-given role. She knew what it was, but she violated her God-given role as the helper. And she then stepped in front of Adam. She took the lead in that home, in that first family. Their roles were reversed. It should never have happened that way, but they were. And so the principle, that principle is not new. It's not new with Paul, because Paul goes back to the garden to explain his teaching. Well, in light of all this, in light of all this, what Paul has said in more than one place in Scripture, uh, where does that leave us? In light of the prohibition, the limited prohibition God gives to the woman, where does she find or where can she find her greatest fulfillment in life? Verse 15. Again, the, the connecting word here is important. The first word, yet, in light of everything he has said, yet she will be saved. And saved there is not uh, spiritual salvation. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they, the women, continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Where does she find her greatest fulfillment in life? In seeking the man's role? No, absolutely not. In being a mother. Now again, our, our society, our culture looks at that and would say, are you serious? Are you kidding? She needs to have a career. She needs to be out front. But she finds her greatest satisfaction in becoming a mother. Now, I said it's not talking about spiritual salvation because men and women are all saved the same way. Grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But another way to put it is she can be saved from the, or delivered, perhaps that's a better term. She can be delivered from the, from the stigma of leading the, the human race into sin. She can be delivered from that by becoming a mother. She has the privilege now, although she led the human race into sin, she now has the, the ability to replenish the human race. Now, obviously, this is a general statement because not all women marry and not all women uh, have children. But again, it's an overall general statement that, that Paul is making. It's the greatest contribution she can make to humanity. She can do what a man cannot do, bring forth children. 
Again, generally speaking, a mother will spend far more time with her children than the father in the family will. She can have the greater influence on the children than the father can. They can raise, together they can raise godly children if they continue in faith and in love. Now go back to 1 Corinthians once more. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11 and verses um, 11 and 12. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as the woman was made from man's so man is now born of woman. You see how God has just perfectly wed all of this together, joined all of this together to make sense to us. Well, what do we do with all this? What's the conclusion of all of this? You know, in past years when I've had to <clears throat> defend this, what I think is a pretty clear biblical position, Those who are critics will look at what they will call contradictions in the Bible. Contradictions in the Old Testament. And they use them to say, <clears throat> you see, that's not true in this place, so you can't be true. And Paul must be saying something else. You don't have it right. One of the first things, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the first issues that are brought up is, what about Deborah? What about Deborah in the book of Judges? Deborah was a woman, and she was a leader of Israel. She was a judge of Israel. A couple of thoughts about Deborah. Number one, uh, and I, I, don't, I wouldn't call this a major point, but it's part of it. Uh, it. The text does not say that God raised Deborah up, as the other texts say, about the other judges. Secondly, about Deborah... You don't see Deborah out in front of Israel leading a nation or speaking to large groups of Israelites. She was more of an, an arbiter. The book of Judges shows Deborah as sitting under her fig tree. And one by one, people would come to her uh, to resolve issues, to answer questions. So hers was not a public ministry, as you would picture public ministry looking like. She was more of an arbiter. Also, when a military leader was needed to fight and defeat the enemy of God, she calls on Barak to lead God's army to victory. Well, he's somewhat timid, if you remember the story. He really doesn't want to go. What does he say to her? I want you to go with me. I don't want to go unless you go. And she rebukes him strongly for not being willing to take leadership. And she says, and I quote it from the text, the road you take will not lead to your glory because the Lord will sell Sisera, that was the leader of the enemy, <clears throat> the Lord will sell Sisera into the excuse me, into the hand of 
a woman. She's, she's rebuking him strongly. And that woman would be Jael. She would be the one who defeats ultimately the, the enemy commander. So Barak will receive no honor because of his decision, his, uh, his choice really not to go. So Deborah is not a good example of being an exception. You go through the Old Testament, you find no Old Testament priests throughout the entire Old Testament. You come to the New Testament, you don't see women who are disciples at all. Jesus called only men. You don't see women pastors in the New Testament. No woman wrote any book of the Bible. That's just by God's design. Women are not to be pastors. <clears throat> 1, Corinthian, uh, 1 Timothy says, if any man wants to be an elder. Man. Some translations use the impersonal pronoun, if anyone desires to be a pastor. Um, but that impersonal pronoun agrees with the masculine form of the adjectives that are used from verses 2 through verses 8 in that same chapter. So it's clearly talking about the man. Another objection is Priscilla and Aquila. See, Priscilla's teaching men. Well, Priscilla and, his, and her husband are teaching men, but not in the context of the gathering of the church. Where did they do it? <clears throat> in their home together. Fran and I have taught men and women in our home over, over decades now. So you can't use Priscilla and Aquila <clears throat> as an objection to what Paul is, is teaching. Well, there's, there's much more than that could be said on this important matter. But who can a woman teach then? She can teach and should teach children. <clears throat> and ladies, do not minimize that. She can teach and should teach children. <clears throat> she can also teach other women. Other women. The only prohibition is she cannot teach or lead men. Why focus, why concentrate on that one prohibition that God gives in Scripture when you have other good and right alternatives? So ladies, don't be preoccupied with wanting to do with which, that which God prohibits you. So this is not a, a minor issue when giving the qualifications for a pastor in 1 Timothy. Uh, Paul says the, the one who would be pastor must be the husband of one wife. Well, he doesn't say that a woman can be the wife of one husband. No, he says it the way he says it for a reason, because it's the man. Now, Titus, one final text, and we'll close with this. Titus, 1 Timothy, <clears throat> 2 Timothy, Titus. Because this is an important text as it relates to women and the role of women. Titus chapter 2. Uh, in the chapter, Paul will deal with uh, 
younger men and older men and then younger women and older women. Verse 3 in Titus chapter 2. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so, verse 4, it's an important one. And so train the young woman, women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. What should the older women be doing? Teaching the younger women how to love, and that's a practical love, how to love their husbands, love their children. Uh, why? So the word of God is not reviled. See, that's, I think, a text that some women find it easy to ignore. I want to I teach out front but Paul says, teach younger women to love their husbands, how to love their children. Important text. Well, how old is an older woman? I think in Paul's day, that was probably age 60 and above. And so a younger woman would be any woman uh, up to the age of 60. But don't neglect an important text like this, a major text in order just to focus on being out front. And certainly Satan has attacked God's plan for, for men and women uh, in society at large today, but also in the church as well. And I think we need to, to stay in line. I think we are in line with the, the truth of Scripture. We need to stay in line with what God's Word says, and we need to just ignore our society. Ignore what our culture is telling us to do. But uh, obey the Lord. Obey the Scriptures. God's authoritative, holy word. All right? Let's pray. Father, it's clear that your ways are not the world's ways. That your words are not the world's words. But Lord, we cling to your truth this morning. Help us to be obedient. Give us grace to live as men and women, to live as, as we ought, to be obedient. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.